This week we read The Dying Detective. Or Reasons John and Sherlock Are Not Getting Their Deposit Back. Game is afoot, all our buddies. Welcome back to the final Podblum, the only Sherlock Holmes read-through podcast brought to you by those boisterous boys down at the Oyster Cloister. I, for my part, am always and forever Casey until someone frees me from the crystal prison in which I was trapped by a tricksome wizard. Who is this joining me here? And this is Nicholas Cohen, always in awe of Casey's ability to pronounce things that are otherwise completely unpronounceable. (laughs) Uh, you know, Such as Oyster Cloister and the name of this cloister. podcast. Yes, you go down to the Oyster <laughs> Cloister. I slit a sheet, a sheet I slit, upon a slitted sheet I sit. Part of it, I'm not going to lie, part of it, Nicholas, mm-hmm. a good big part of it, is reading fantasy novels with ridiculous names in and practicing them until I can say them correctly in my head because then I can just read without skipping a beat. That, that'll definitely do it. I actually love that you put the dedication... That's so much. I I just I just pronounce it differently every time. I'm just like I don't have time to learn how to say that. That's fair. <laughs> this magical it's made fair. up word. Yeah. yeah, there's this one character in The Way of Kings, uh, who everybody just refers to as Rock because they can't say his name properly, uh, because mm-hmm. he's from this like sort of sort of uh faux Hawaiian um culture or whatever, and his name is actually a poem about a special rock that his father saw on the day he was born. But I what I love being able to do is when Dylan and I are talking about the way of kings, so on any given day, uh he'll mm-hmm. say, Oh yeah, like when this thing happened with rock and I'll say, Oh rock, you mean Numuhukumaki Aki Ayalu no more? Just to flex on him. I live to impress Dylan. <laughs> it's very difficult to do. And the experience points are always worth it. <laughs> it is very... Yes, you're right. I know. Uh, every time Dylan gives me the slightest compliment, I'm like, yes. Win. On the moon. I think it's actually probably not that difficult, but his like his veneer, his patina of cynicism, like prevents him from expressing it fully. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. He, he definitely has this air of just being... So serious and cynical the whole time, but it's extremely easy to crack. It'll lift in a second, and then he'll be like giggling like a little guard. It really belt. is. <laughs> it's like yes, he really is. On the inside, he's he's full of like dipping dots and mischief. <laughs> uh, he doesn't like cereal talk- though. I just found just that out. Just hear him talk to Scratchy for two seconds, and you're like, oh, this man is a marshmallow. This is a marshmallow. Oh my god, man. he loves that cat so much. He is such he a does. damn fool for that cat. He oh, is. God. He takes he's that cat wa- places on a leash. I know. He's like one step away from putting her on outfits. I'm sure if she weren't so fat, he would. <laughs> he say, he actually feels that that's a cruelty. He will not subject animals to that. But I think he means just like it's an indignity, not like a physical cruelty. <laughs> like he couldn't handle the emotional damage. <laughs> I would never do it to a cat. Dogs care less. It depends on the animal. Yeah, that's true. If I had a cat who's who was like, you know anxious or something and they need a little weighted jacket or something like yeah i'd do it but in general i think cats hate having clothes on them obviously some dogs are okay with right but it depends true it's because all dogs are idiots (laughs) yep (laughs) did you see that that tweet of that dog i sent you running down the hill today they love it they love rolling down grass they love it I've it's seen a so bulldog good. Doing you know it what, too. listeners? I'm gonna post. I'm gonna post the tweet I'm talking about because it's so good. It's a golden retriever who just runs all the way up a hill and then just like launches himself at the side of it and just wriggles his way down. It's amazing. Ugh, <laughs> dogs know what's up. I got shit figured out. All right. So the dying detective. This is a weird story. 
Um, it's like eight pages. It's a re- it's a real Sussex vampire of a tale in that uh, mm. it is pointless. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not that it's a bad story. It's just, as you and I were talking about in the pre-show, it's like the last quarter of a Sherlock Holmes story told from the wrong perspective. And it just, I, I don't know, maybe Coil Donan was in a... Coil Donan Arthur. That's... Calibrate the coils. Maybe he was in a weird mood. I don't know. I think this story to me feels like the last entry in a Batman comic where it was there were three other whole comic books of the story before this, and you're coming in right at the end. And this is the finale. The this is it's yeah it's you picked up the last issue you didn't know it was a mini series yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's exactly how it feels very well put well. It begins with the long overdue hagiography of Mrs. Hudson. There is a nice little quote here. Mrs. Hudson, the landlady of Sherlock Holmes, was a long-suffering woman. Not only was her first-floor flat invaded at all hours by throngs of singular and often undesirable characters, but her remarkable lodger showed an eccentricity and irregularity in his life which must have sorely tried her patience. His incredible untidiness, his addiction to music at strange hours, his occasional revolver practice within doors, his weird and often malodorous scientific experiments, and the atmosphere of violence and danger which hung around him made him the very worst tenant in London. On the other hand, his payments were princely. I have no doubt that the house might have been purchased at the price which Holmes paid for his rooms during the years that I was with him. The landlady stood in the deepest awe of him and never dared to interfere with him, however outrageous his proceedings might seem. She was fond of him, too, for he had a remarkable gentleness and courtesy in his dealings with women. He disliked and distrusted the sex, but he was always a chivalrous opponent. Knowing how genuine was her regard for him, I listened earnestly to her story when she came to my rooms in the second year of my married life and told me of the sad condition to which my poor friend was reduced. And that, I think is the clearest picture of Sherlock and women that we're ever going to get, right? I guess. Yeah, I I really like the the little picture of Mrs. Hudson that it paints there. Like you you get a little bit more about her. You really hard she's really yeah. hardly mentioned at all in any of the stories except as the landlady or Yeah. She's like an accessory. She she hardly ever really does anything. And um and all this is just kind of, Yeah, and the whole line about like Holmes mistrusting and disliking women though is strange after the Irene Adler one it almost makes it You'd seem think... like that the Doyle forgot about that whole thing I don't I don't yep. really think he <laughs> I don't really think he he does maybe he does distrust women a little bit but he doesn't like I don't think he dislikes them after that it's it's maybe, Watson says he, mean... he never said anything bad about them after that but yeah that's I true I don't know but just the idea of just some dude being like I don't know about these women I've heard so much about. <laughs> like it's, it's. I I think we've all known dudes with that kind of attitude, and it's uh, a little a little broier than uh, you strictly get with Sherlock. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. I it's it's probably. I mean, he's again historically accurately sexist. Right. I guess um, as as a character goes, but uh, I don't know. It's but yeah, like I I like. I like hearing anything about Mrs. Hudson because you just don't ever see her, and she shows up in the in in the TV series. Uh, she it, it's kind of nice because she is still kind of like very much a side character, but she's given a lot more to do. Occasionally, they'll like 
let her have a line that would have gone to Watson or something, or she'll just mm-hmm. like be there doing. And um, you know, she she gets to have like little quips occasionally. Um, you see her reacting disapprovingly to Holmes's bullshit, but she still kind of just lets him do it. It's kind of like right. she's not just hiding from him constantly. She's like. She'll like poke her head in and be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> but then she right. just kind of. And which adaptation was that? This is the Jeremy Brett one, the um, the eighties one. Okay, I I actually quite like the BBC's Mrs. Hudson too. She's very. I was about to say she's awesome. <laughs> as much as as much weird things that show has going on. Um, as as much as I'm I'm not particularly like. As there are things I don't like about that show. I really love how Mrs. Hudson is portrayed. Uh, they, I think yeah. they did a great job with her character. It's so much fun. Um. It really is. But yeah, She's a murderer so. or something. I forget exactly what. I think Sherlock helped her murder her husband, if I recall. Right. And sometimes you even get, like, really, like, almost maternal image of Mrs. Hudson, where she's, like, she almost sees right. Holmes as, like, her son, which I, like, as much as that's, like, kind of mushy, I still kind of like it because it's yeah. it kind of makes sense, especially if he's lived at Baker Street for so long, like, since he was younger, too. And Yeah, um, it's a fairly, it's a natural dynamic. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And, it, and it's not so, so much like this, a landlord-tenant situation where there's other tenants. It's literally just him and Watson. And so yeah, that's they a see point. each other a lot. Yeah. It's a, yeah, a real fantastic Mr. Fox kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. Mrs. Hudson is very worried about Sherlock. Uh, he is apparently very ill. He is, in fact, dying. Three mm-hmm. days has he languished, cheekbones growing ever more dire and cumberbatchian, refusing all help. <laughs> Until Mrs. Hudson, like Dolores and the Sussex Vampire, decided that he was going to get a doctor whether he wanted one or not. And so she came to Watson's place. They raced back to Baker Street. Apparently Holmes fell ill working a case at Rotherhithe in an alley near the river. And he hasn't eaten or drank in three days. Which, I think that actually kills you. So I wouldn't... (laughs) I don't know how it's... I was going to say, Holmes goes without eating and drinking for days at a time normally, so that's really not that's that unusual. Point. It's really just the that's fact that he's sick this time. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. And I see I see Holmes as getting sick and being one of those people, like the one to whom I am married, who are like, no, I'm not sick. I'm functioning at perfect capacity. It is just that the rest of the world is moving too quickly. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> I see him, I see him like going to work and just like, well now what the crime is that, excuse me, vomit. <laughs> Sorry about that. Now the crimes. <laughs> yeah. So, the, the fact that he's, that he's laid up in bed is, is very indicative to me that this is serious business going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so she um she calls Watson, she brings him to Baker Street. He arrives and um Holmes is just acting really weird. He's acting delirious and he's yep. yeah, at one point Watson turns around and is like, "No, I'm going to go get you a doctor." And I think he turns around to leave and Holmes j- jumps up, runs to the door, locks it so he can't get out. And then yep. like gets back into bed. And he's like, "No, you're not. Like absolutely not." And not it's just happen. like he's just ac- acting completely weird and Watson's like, all right, well, if you're not going to have another doctor, let me, you know, treat you. And then Holmes says something about how, like, well, if I'm going to be treated by a doctor, I want it to be a doctor who I trust, which is obviously rude yeah. and oh, mean. Very hurtful. Yeah. And yeah, that hurts real bad. And Watson's like, oh, OK, cool. So you don't trust me. Cool, cool. I'm going to go cry now. <laughs> I've got a I've got a quote for that here in a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, for, well, first of all, Watson gets there and Holmes tells him to stay the fuck back. For he has contracted a deadly and contagious Sumatran affliction, 
related perhaps to that self-same giant rat thereof we never do find out i don't know where sumatra <laughs> is hey google where's sumatra sumatra indonesia is 9315 miles away okay well, that makes the story even more racist, because <laughs> Arthur Conan Doyle seemed to think that Sumatra was where Chinese people came from. Oh my god, it's like, I don't know, what do what do foreign countries have? What, what do countries that aren't Britain have? Diseases, probably. I don't right. know. <laughs> Sumatra, isn't that one of them little oranges? Uh, also, I would like to thank uh, special guest editor Jasper, who was up here helping me edit... Uh, the last episode we did, and rolling all over my Google Dot, which is the reason it was much louder than I thought it was going to be when I asked it where Sumatra was just now. <laughs> Jasper, a.k.a. the most beautiful cat in the world. He is a very pretty kitty. He is also one of the baddest ever to exist. It oh is no, really? Very, it is very I've heard, well, I've he heard just... white cats can be really personality sometimes. That's mm. accurate. Like, he'll just, he'll just, like, claw at a, at, like, um... What do you call it? Like a lampshade? Like just to see if you're watching. And then he's, I mean, I mean, this just sounds like cat behavior, which is what it is, but it's, mm-hmm. it's extreme and adorable. So yeah, that's why you got yelled at by my Google Dots listener. Uh, feel free to be mad at Jasper about it, except don't because he's a pretty, pretty boy and I will protect him. Just so, want to make sure everyone heard it. Exactly. So Holmes is only going to speak to Watson if he agrees to stay well back. And I was very proud of Watson here because he essentially says, yeah, fuck that. Quote, let him be my master elsewhere. I, at least, was his in a sick room. And mm-hmm. I really like that a lot, because Watson yeah. is, for the most part, he's the passive partner in this relationship, right? And mm-hmm. every relationship has dynamics, and everybody thinks of other people in certain ways, and I really like when that dynamic shifts a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. in my family, I'm I'm not known for being, like, particularly handy around the house or i'm not like an especially good cook like we, we all have skill sets but like mm-hmm. recently a family member was like hey bro uh i'm i'm going through some stuff could you do a tarot reading for me maybe and i was like what's that <laughs> you wish to consult the oracle oh, certainly you may <laughs> 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 I may not be Tim Allen, but I am Wilson on the other side of the fence, and that is that is a spot that I am happy to occupy. Uh, that's great. <laughs> so I, I really love that Watson is like, well, no, fuck you, I'm a doctor, you're sick, I'm in charge of this situation, me, Watson! It's like, one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite things about Star Trek, the original series, is that Kirk is the captain, and Spock is right. the first mate, McCoy is the ship's doctor, which normally, he doesn't he doesn't, he's not really supposed to come down to planets. He doesn't really, he's not really supposed to leave sickbay. He's on the bridge sometimes, but like, he's, right. he's the doctor. That's really his only, he's not, he's not a bricklayer. He's not anything technological. He's just the doctor. And, but every now and then, Kirk will try to refuse a medical order and McCoy will just snap. He'll just be like, no, you're not. You're staying right there. And just yep. take complete, like, override his authority, everything like that without even blinking just i love that i love that shit it's so good but especially seeing watson do it because you never really see that you no hardly you never see him say no to holmes for any reason really it's great yeah and when dr bashir does it too yeah yeah especially since he's so like just quiet and nice kind of all the time but then when you see him get angry and it's like oh oh okay kirby's pissed (laughs) you know (laughs) it's great you know there is a uh 
there's an excellent excellent book series that I read because of Dylan. Um, mm. The the the, sens- the second book of which is called The Wise Man's Fear, and in it. Um, there are three things listed that all wise men must fear, and it is um, a storm at sea, a moonless night, and the anger of a kind heart. And mm-hmm. I think, I think that Watson definitely falls into that category. Like the the only times we have ever seen Watson really like provoked or moved to anger, he has gone from zero to a hundred like that. Like yeah. it's gone from chilling in the corner to wielding a chair. Like there's no there's no <laughs> yeah. in between. And that's how it is too. With like with chill people, it takes a lot to get them mad. But when they are mad, that's it. You know exactly gonna burn some shit down is really Mm. really good Mm. well um watson says fuck that he says holmes said i you are not yourself a sick man is but a child which reinforces the patriarchal notion that it is in fact a woman's job to take care of them and so (laughs) i will treat you whether you like it or not i will examine your symptoms and treat you for them he looked at me with venomous eyes if i am to have a doctor whether i will or not let me at least have someone in whom i have confidence said he then you have none in me in your friendship, certainly, but facts are facts, Watson, and after all, you are only a general practitioner with very limited experience and mediocre qualifications. It is painful to have to say these things, but you leave me no choice. I was bitterly hurt. Yeah, understandable. Mm-hmm. That's a fucked up thing to say. Right? I know, and it's just like, yeah, it's... And after that, he kind of is just like, well, you know, you're you're sick, I'm sure you don't really mean any of that, but it definitely hurts him. Like, it obviously, like, it yeah. still hits hard. And yeah, when I first read the story, I was like, I I was angry on Watson's behalf at Holmes. (laughs) For real. Like sick people can be dicks when you don't feel good, when you're in pain, yeah, yeah, whatever. But there's also a thing about like being friends with someone kind of makes you vulnerable to them. Like opening up to someone Mm -hmm. hands them weapons that you have to just hope that they never use against you. Mm hmm. Yeah. It's huge yeah. risk every time. Yeah. Every single time. Yeah. And like, I'm, I'm never going to be the person who decides that's not worth it, but I, I understand people who do because mm-hmm. like, you got to hand somebody a loaded gun and you know, this only works on me and you can keep it <laughs> right forever. Yeah. But I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going yeah, it's awful here. Know all my weaknesses. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Uh, Watson is very upset. So apparently, uh, Holmes has contracted an Eastern tropical disease of which are not the same thing. I don't think, (laughs) I don't think Eastern and the tropics are (laughs) the same thing. (laughs) I could be wrong. I'm not strong on geography, but the point is it's a, it's a, it's a tropical disease of which Watson knows nothing because he isn't a specialist in Eastern tropical diseases, which is (laughs) fair. Yeah, and uh, Watson kind of gets his dander up about it. He says he may not know from Tapanuli fever or the Black Formosa corruption, which is going to be a monster in my new D&D campaign, but that he does <laughs> happen to be pals with a Dr. Ainstree, who is the greatest living authority upon tropical disease. And as you mentioned, he turns to go and says, I'm going to go get this doctor and fetch him. And Holmes springs from his sick bed as if spring-loaded, locks them in and says they are staying here. For two hours, until 6 p.m., until Holmes has had himself a little rest. Now, at this point, it becomes clear to the reader, it should become clear to the reader at any rate, that Holmes, like Nixon before him, and like Trump right now, is plainly <laughs> up to something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's not letting Watson get close to him. He's not letting Watson leave the room now. And right. he's 
he's only asking to see he he's not he's not he's refusing to see a doctor even though he clearly needs one and right. so he tells so he tells Watson that he can't leave the room until six o'clock which is right weird okay so obviously there's some kind of plan that he's got going on uh at least at this point I you know you you start to assume that like okay that's a very specific time either he actually is delirious and you know just saying random shit or he's got some kind of plan going on that we don't know about yet and that he hasn't right. told Watson yet and this story is weird because it's like he hasn't told Watson yet and he doesn't tell Watson at all at any point nope. during the story what his plan is no. you don't find out until the very last page and Watson no. doesn't either which is again very unusual it's some Holmes bullshit. No, at the very end, Holmes, yeah. <laughs> Holmes straight up says, "Oh shit, Watson! I totally forgot about you, dude. I am sorry." Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really strange. Um, and I I think of it as a bit out of character. Uh, I I'd be interested to see what other people think. If people think that Holmes would actually would would actually do this, or if it's kind right. of like seems a little OOC for him. Um. But yeah, so he so, he's got I mean we we've, yeah. we've we've talked a little bit before about how Holmes' characterization like either you could view it as being diverse instances in a complex and realistic and fleshed out human being or you mm-hmm. could just consider them inconsistencies by a writer who didn't really care that much about what he was doing. <laughs> um, right, exactly. Which Doyle kind of did become by the end. So, like, I think I think the sliding scale of Holmes' sociopathy. I I, I really <laughs> think sometimes Doyle just like his elbow hit it, and that shit just shot down to ninety for that story. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good point. I forgot somehow that it's Doyle writing these stories, not someone who yeah. actually gives a shit. Um, no, nope, <laughs> or the Conan Doyle. Not to be confused with anyone who actually cares, but yeah, no, no, um. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, so yeah, they're they're stuck in the room until six p.m. Uh, Watson just kind of is like, "All right, sure, I guess." Um, he Holmes kind of settles back into his bed, and Watson's like, "I guess I, I guess I'll just wait here." And he, yeah, guess I'll just wander around this room. <laughs> he's just waiting, and uh, and then you get a little glimpse of Holmes's room, um, which I don't think you ever really see at any other point. It's kind of interesting. Um, yeah, it he, is. He's he's looking around his room a little bit. He's got a mantelpiece with a bunch of papers and clutter on it. He's got some Brick-a-brack. knives lying around, of course. Some you know, some spent cigarettes, syringes, syringes, you know, for the cocaine. Um, and uh, and then he finds this uh, small ivory box. Uh, it's got a uh, ivory and black design on it, right? And mm-hmm. he's like, oh well, this is kind of interesting. And he starts to reach for it. And Holmes immediately yells at him to stop. Don't touch that. And flips out on him. Tells him to stop fucking with his shit and sit down so he can get some rest. Quote, you fidget me beyond endurance, which is (laughs) adorable. And I'm going to start saying that (laughs) in my life. That's just me with kids. Oh, also something that I thought was really good uh, was that Holmes has framed portraits of all his favorite criminals on the walls. Yeah. Yeah. On brand. Yeah, and uh, Watson is once again, as you mentioned, doing that thing that is sometimes really hard to do and sees that Holmes's behavior, like, as as an indication of the depths of his mm-hmm. unwellness. Like, this is how sick he is. Uh, Watson may also just be a chump who gives his friend way too much leeway vis-a-vis yeah. abuse. Or whatever he needs to be, depending on the story. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, fair point, yeah. point. <laughs> well, there's, you know, we we talk sometimes about how, like, 
when you write a thing, you don't like Saturday Night Live is such a cultural force, right? Like it's an mm-hmm. icon of American media and technology and politics and comedy and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. But like the reason it's called Saturday Night Live is because those were supposed to just be one-off shows. I don't think they were originally even supposed to be recorded or, or, or like, rerun or anything like that. They were just not improv exactly, but it was just like, this is the showcase we've got this week, and now it's become this cornerstone of American culture. Yeah. And I think... I think Holmes is kind of like that. Like, I don't think Doyle was sitting down like, well, it's time to change the canon of the literary society forever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, he was pretty clearly just, like, writing some stories and it got away from mm-hmm. him. Yeah, just detective stories, which aren't, even now, aren't considered, like, you don't really ever see detective dramas up for Oscars. It's kind of just, like, they're popular TV, no. they're popular media. It's, like, it's a, such a compact format. Yeah. That it's easy to do in little short stories, in episodes, in TV series. You know, NCIS is one of the biggest shows, you know, out there. And it's the same kind of thing yeah. where it's like, every, it's a different case every, yeah. CSIs, CSIs of a million flavors are still your number one source for, for sex facts that are difficult to explain <laughs> yeah. to your parents. It's, yeah, it's just, uh, people still eat it up to this day and it's, you know, so. Yeah, but it's not generally considered, like, a proper literary yeah. genre. Yeah, which not is really. Weird. It's not, like, people don't people don't quote episode 10, you know, season 800 of NCIS when he said this. You know, yeah. it's just kind of like, yeah, for some reason it doesn't really enter. But, but Sherlock Holmes does, which is, I guess, what makes it unique. Like, you don't really know yeah. no other literary detective is a household name. Even, like, even a lot of people know Poirot. I would say, and like even Miss Marple, if you already know detective stories, but I don't right. think the average on this average person off the street would know who Poirot is unless they're a British detective. No, if you if you just say something obvious, yeah, nobody replies and says no shit. Right? Yeah, cool. like <laughs> yeah. that's not yeah. how that works. Exactly. And I think that culture blindness is is kind of the because like, do you remember in I think it would have been like twenty. 10 or something like that uh they made a movie of john carter of yes, mars i heard it was terrible was it yeah had a ton of people it had taylor kitsch uh it had brian cranston and willem dafoe mm-hmm. ton of great people uh and no it was decent it was a lot of fun it had a ton of heart uh it looked pretty good for the time and it managed to tell a visual john carter story in which many of the characters are canonically underdressed <laughs> But, like, without making it scintillating, which is the thing, because, like, in the stories, they, m- most, most Martians and humans who go to Mars just go around naked because it's fucking mm-hmm. hot on Mars. And, like, it's, it's, it's explicitly desexualized in the stories. Like, it's mentioned once, and then it's not a thing anymore, because it's just part mm-hmm. of how Mars works. And, like, there are a million comic book adaptations, and every one of them has Deja Thoris, the princess of Mars, dressed exactly like you're picturing <laughs> yeah, her dress yeah. right now. And, like, I'm not, I'm not here to rail against, like, you know, like, like saucy comics or anything like that. I mean, if that's your, whatever, I'm not here to argue against it. I'm just saying like, I should be able to, I should be able to consume these stories I enjoy without feeling like I'm being a creep. Um, and, and this, and this movie did that very well. Um, the, the problem was that the guy who directed it, who was also the guy who directed fucking (laughs) Wally, let that sink in. Um, watch this now. He loved John Carter so much, he was under the impression that John Carter was like a Sherlock Holmes-level household mm-hmm. name. That this was just part of the popular consciousness, that everybody was going to see, like, every, somebody, you know, you'd be in the theater and you'd be watching a preview and you'd hear Willem Dafoe go, 
Barsoom. And everybody would just go, oh my god, Barsoom, that's what Mars fucking calls itself. And yeah. like, that's not, that's yeah. not what happened. Like, that's rough. you know, it's, it's not what happens when you're in a trailer that's and you, ri- it's, it like, really it's like, it's like the Europeans it a good movie. trying to bring Tintin to America and being like, oh yeah, it's freaking Tintin. Everyone knows who he is. You know, we're going to show this it's movie in the theaters. Tintin, the kids are going to like love it. Nobody saw Tintin. Nobody knew what a Tintin was. Nope. No so one. Flat. No one saw The Secret right. of the Unicorn. Oh, we still got to watch that for the feed. I'm very oh, yeah, excited no, it, for it, personally. <laughs> I he- I have heard it said that it it is kind of like the spiritual successor to Indiana Jones. Like, that it should have been the fourth Indiana it, Jones movie. Tintin is very much... I, I, I usually describe it to people as, like, Indiana Jones, but if he were a kid, basically. Kind of like, yeah, right. and European... Not it's young if, Indiana Jones, which was a terrible yeah, television no, show. Yeah. It's it's if Europe if it's if Indiana Jones were made by Europeans, basically, and not Americans. So like, okay, quite a bit less guns, quite right. a bit less, you know, th- no sexuality of any kind. Because I think Tintin's supposed to be like fourteen. Um, right. But yeah, it's kind of like I don't know. It's great. I love it. It's super goofy. Um, Snowy smoke in every panel. <laughs> Kevin Haddock's just drunk 100% of the time. Um, and it's like no big deal. Cause in Europe, it's no big deal. Like in, it's so, it's, it's fine. weird. Cause what? like in America, there's, it's, anyway, there's different attitudes towards just being drunk. Uh, anyway, so dying detective. Back to the dying yes. detective. Okay. So what is, what does Holmes, what does Holmes have, uh, have Watson do since he's insisting on staying around? Uh, yeah, no, he tries to t- touch the box. Holmes freaks out on him. Um, and then when six o'clock hits, Holmes starts talking again. He, uh, he says some, he starts to give Watson a little bit of an idea of what's going on. He tells him to go off and find someone, uh, find a, a doctor for him. He, he does want to see someone and he tells him who it is. Uh, let me see. Okay, he said, okay, it's 6 o'clock, good. Um, he, t- he tells him to arrange some papers next to his... Oh, he tells him to light the gas, light the lamp next to his bed. He tells it uh, that's facing the window. He tells him to... Half-light half light. the gas. Yeah, yeah. Be very careful that for not one instant should it be more than half on. And he's just being extremely... He's giving very specific instructions to watch in the series of really specific instructions um which if you think about mm-hmm. it he does uh but usually it's just watson doesn't know what's going on but he has some general idea of it up to this point but at this point he doesn't if it were an ordinary right. sherlock Holmes story this would be this you see this a lot where holmes is like okay you need to do this exact set of things right in order for everything to work out but now that holmes right. is acting all feverish it comes across as him just yeah. being neurotic and sick and feverish and asking Watson to do a bunch of random stuff. He really is. He's he's beginning to operate in non sequiturs. Like he wakes up and interrogates Watson about how much and what kind of change he mm-hmm. has on him. Uh five silver half crowns, which are apparently not enough for whatever Holmes had in mind. He says, Okay, you take them <laughs> coins, you put them coins in your watch pocket, you take the rest of your money, you put it in your left pocket. It will balance you so much better <laughs> like that. And then he just like flops back down yeah. onto the pillow. Which <laughs> is a very realistic thing for a very sick person to be worried about. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so he's, so the question at this point is, like, because he told him, you take, you make me up a little nest of papers here, you get those sugar tongs just over there, yes, the ones I use to to pour, to hold a sugar cube when I pour a laudanum (laughs) over it, (laughs) presumably. (laughs) Um, Use it to pick up that little box, put the little box right there, and then he just starts talking about Mm. oysters. 
he talks about how he doesn't understand how the bottom of the ocean is fucking anything but oysters. <laughs> what was I talking about? Oh yeah, put that <laughs> box there. <laughs> yeah, so he's given Watson this, this these instructions interspersed with just really weird things like balancing the change in his pocket and talking about oysters and how he's afraid that there might be so many oysters yeah. in the ocean that they will overrun the world and just just like interspersed. It's true. Just yeah. planted oyster. Holmes does consent, finally, to be seen by Mr. Culverton Smith, a resident of Sumatra, and a planter who has had occasion to study the disease that he believes he has contracted upon an outbreak in his plantation. He wouldn't be home until after six, which is why Holmes made Watson wait until right now. Oysters, oysters, <laughs> oysters, <laughs> madness. So, this Smith character apparently hates Sherlock real, real bad. Just what you want in a position. Because of some bad yeah. business in which his nephew got killed because he didn't listen to Sherlock's advice. So getting him there is going to be tough. It's going to take a real good charisma check. he got to roll high on them dice. But he's the only one that can help because he's the only one who knows about these diseases. And it is vital that Watson not return with this man for mm -hmm. reasons. And we don't know if those reasons are real or if this is just Sherlock's brain boiling mm -hmm. in his skull. Yeah, and Watson, he yeah, he tells all, Watson all of this, and Watson says, I'll bring him in a cab if I have to carry him down to it. And Holmes says, you'll do no such thing. You'll come back separately. Yeah. And, um, yeah, you, uh, and then you'll return in front of him. So Watson needs to go get him and then come back, but make sure he's back before Culverton Smith arrives. Correct. Um... And at this point, we get my favorite line in the entire story. Holmes is like, instructions, instructions, threat, threat, threat. Then he looks off and says, no doubt there are natural enemies which limit the increase of the creatures. Once again, referring to oysters, of course. <laughs> and oh boy, have I got news for Holmes about a little species called motherfucking sea otters. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you <laughs> about these good... love those oysters. These good mustalids, <laughs> man. They're so good, Holmes. They hold rocks on their tummies and they crack. And like, look, look. Robert Parrott, I am not just choosing animals specifically because they're the ones I think would be cutest to have to draw. <laughs> I'm not. We I'm just not lucked out arrogant. this time because if you uh, wanted. Oys oys not oysters. I don't know. I guess some people might think oysters are cute. Uh, <laughs> someone's favorite Pokemon is just the little clam guy with his tongue sticking out. Shelter, just yeah. Shelter. <laughs> I love that guy. That guy was awesome. But yeah, no, otters mm -hmm. are very good. And I think they might need an otter sidekick. We really we don't even try. It's just animal sidekicks. Yes. There they are. <laughs> it just happens, man. That's what I do every time. I have a saved. I have a saved message in our Twitter feed. In like the messages where whenever I'm just scrolling through and I see somebody say, "Hey, anybody recommend a good podcast?" I just copy and paste it in there, and it goes like, "Hi, we're a pair of goofballs. We read through the Sherlock Holmes canon when we remember to." In between inventing animal mascots in fancy and Victorian <laughs> formal wear, the show really is about. Yeah, honestly. Oh, I'm gonna throw in a real quick, just off the cuff. Uh, hint as to my Go username uh on twitter because i know we were gonna have people okay. guess it so in case it's kind of hard Absolutely. i think it's i think it's kind of a tough guess so i'm gonna throw out a hint and that hint is animals the hint is just animals it has something to do with animals, animals. yeah it is okay all right i'm gonna guess and if i get, i'm gonna get and if i get it right i'll bleep okay. it out okay is it nope. c.s lewis it's not c.s lewis nope it's I not know. you would think you would Damn think it. yeah yeah I thought that was a strong. It, it pull. was a very okay, good well, guess. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. I appreciate that. Was it an inkling? Was it a what? 
Oh, one of the people in that group? Uh, yeah. No, I, I don't think so. No, it wasn't Lewis or Tolkien. Okay. Okay. No. Was it a fiction writer? Yes. Yes, fiction. Okay. Yeah. All right. I think that's, I think that's enough. Well, you know what? No, wait a minute. We gotta, I get, I get three, three questions mm-hmm. and three clues per episode. That's it. Okay. okay. So I gotta think of my, th- I gotta think of my third okay. one. I gotta be careful about All this. Right. So it's, you mentioned earlier that it's, that it is a Briton, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It is a, it is a British it's, author. It's British yep. literature From and it's fiction. Fiction, roughly contemporaneous with Tolkien. Mm-hmm. And wrote about animals, mm-hmm. not C.S. Lewis. Honestly, you might not have even heard of this book. It's not, it's pretty popular, but it's not, I don't know. I would say it's about, have you heard of The Little Prince? I have heard of The it's Little a, Prince, I would yes. say it's probably about as well known in American popular culture as The Little Prince. Like, oh, you God. don't, a lot of people don't know about it, but the people who do know about it know about it kind of thing. Okay. But it's not That's so fair. obscure that it's like, like no one's heard of it except me. Like I just found okay. it on the bottom of a mysterious bookshelf one day, dusted off in the back of like the, the most ancient library in Lancaster. And you know, I'm the only one who's that read this book for 3000 years. Kind of, although that would happen. I love that shit. <laughs> That's the greatest way to find things, dude. You're absolutely right. <laughs> God. All right. Well, wait a minute. I still have you one do. question yeah, coming yeah. to me. Has this, has this, has, mm, is this a single work or a series? It, um, it's, it's a standalone novel and it's most okay. well known. Not, there is a sequel to it, but not a lot of people know about the sequel. It's kind of unimportant. It's like a Lion King 2 kind of thing. Excuse but... me? Simba's pride? <laughs> what, excuse me? You want to, you want to step that shit back? You want to, you want to step talking Lion shit about Kobu? Lion King 2 is good. I'm okay? just saying not as many people He's have up. seen it as they have seen Lion King 1. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Kovu and oh god what was simba's daughter's name oh shit my lion king cred is dripping out my ears oh well. i believe her name is okay. kiara right kiara yep that's it that's yeah. it kiara and Kovu. yeah no I, I love the lion king that was my favorite but movie as a kid i've heard really good things about the show they've got lion guard yeah it looks good yeah, yeah. probably yeah. i'm not i'm not up with kid media <laughs> i just read I mean, old ancient okay, british show <laughs> Back to what this show is really yeah. about, sea otters. <laughs> so Watson is out there, he's hailing a cab, mm-hmm. and is met by an Inspector Morton of Scotland Yard, who arrives and asks after Holmes. Watson says, uh, he's super sick, dude. And Morton looks, like, kind of happy about it, honestly. Mm. Like, in kind of a, a weird way, and then just disappears into the fog again. Right, he just, he appears out of the fog asks like oh dr watson how's mr holmes and watson's like he's very ill and inspector morton just kind of like he kind of looks up at the window like 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 as if watson has confirmed something he was thinking and says yes i've heard some rumor of it and then watson catches the cab and that's it that's the end of that interaction yeah um which really which really should be a huge tip-off because if holmes has been so confined to his bed from whom would he have heard this rumor right it, it, like allegedly Holmes hasn't left his rooms in you know in in three right. days and for the duration of his infirmity right yeah. so you would think that Watson would have been like wait how did you know about it but it, it could be that the cab was there and Watson's just like single-minded I gotta go you know he's focused yeah, yeah. he's he's a, he's a singular creature mm-hmm. so so yeah so he takes he takes the cab down he gets to Lower Burke Street which is where um Milverton lives he he arrives at the house and he's met with the butler. The butler Milverton. No, 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 no. Wrong story, my friend. Coverton Smith. Oh my god. 
I literally wrote. <laughs> That'd be wild. I wrote oh, back the, from the, the dead. Plot twist. Plot twist. They're they're kind of they kind of remind me of each other. They're kind of both. I see that a very powerful seeming figure that's smart has glasses, which in in a moment of needing to seem creepy can reflect the light so that you don't see their eyes, and yep. um are like just this this big Holmes foe that gets like that is one one off and then they get arrested at the end so you don't they don't ever then just knocked off the board (laughs) so yeah i can just made made to seem like this huge existential level threat and then just oh nope (laughs) turns out it was wrapped up nicely because holmes is incredible and even half of the it's culverton and milverton it's like doyle's just like what have i already named my villains well okay here we go that's fair (laughs) there are also like three british names so i guess that's not entirely his fault that's true uh every Every, like, unimportant male character is John, and every unimportant female character is either Mary or Violet. So, yeah. Um, Whoa. <laughs> you are not wrong, Where's my the lie? Uh, so, yeah, so he, he's met with the butler. The butler says, uh, you know, I can't let you see him. He's very busy. Uh, you'll have to come back later. And uh, Watson's like, no, I have to see this guy. And he even hears yeah. the butler goes in, talks to... Tells Culverton Smith who it is, and he's like, no, I, I'm busy, I can't, I'm not seeing anyone. Watson is not having any of it. He pushes past nope. the butler to go and see him, which is unheard like of. John C. Yeah. Riley <laughs> attempting to disarm a bomb on the Titanic. Exactly, yeah. And, um, and Culverton Smith is outraged, he's like, what are you doing here, who are you? And Watson immediately mentions Holmes, and at the mention of Holmes' name, um, he, uh, Smith starts to actually listen to Watson, uh, Mm-hmm. <laughs> even though he like forgets who Watson is later it's like when he's at Baker Street at some point he mentions that someone came to get him on behalf of Holmes and he couldn't remember what Watson's name was it was I don't know I thought that was kind of good um but yeah so um, I don't think I caught that oh that is good yeah, what a he, dick. he says um oh he says the fellow who came for me I've forgotten his name said that you'd contracted the disease <laughs> and then he said it's good what a dick right this guy's the worst. Watson really just get this whole story is literally just everyone lying to Watson and Watson yep. not knowing what's going on despite him just and, and just still doing the best he possibly can do. It's like automatic. Yep. I'm not even considering anyone else. Huxtable award to Dr. John Watson in this story for just all the grief Fair he enough, goes man. through and yet still is able to you know not, get done what needs to get done just by having no idea what's going on everyone refusing to tell him like holmes is lying to him from the get-go morton's lying to him by omission by not telling him what's going on in the street morton knows what's going on but not him culverton smith is lying to him by like pretending to accept his you know uh his presence for reasons which will become become clear later yeah he's bamboozling him yes yeah and so yeah he he has a uh conversation with watson uh I've actually got some quotes for that conversation yes. that I, I thought were pretty interesting. Yeah, so um, Watson um, catches his reflection, catches Culverton, catches Smith. I See, the reason I, <laughs> I was thrown, because you, you call him Culverton, and I called him Smith in my notes, because I thought Culverton was his first name, but it occurs to me his last name could be Culverton Smith, because there are plenty of characters with, like, the compound last names. No, I think his last name is Smith. It's just Culverton Smith. I don't know oh, just it? calling him that, because it... Okay, Smith whatever. Is so... anyway, well, the point is, 
<laughs> Watson catches him uh, his reflection in the mirror and sees a brief malicious smile before concern plasters his pie hole. <laughs> and Smith is quote 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 sorry. To hear that Holmes is very sick. Oh, I've got nothing but respect for that Holmes I have, or so he'd have us believe. Mm -hmm. Ridiculous. So there's a quote here. He's talking about Holmes, and he says, He is an amateur of crime, as I am of disease. For him, the villain. For me, the microbe. He continued, pointing to a row of bottles and jars, which stood upon a side table. Among these gelatin cultivations, some of the very worst offenders in the world are now doing time. Which is interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, I want to I want to tag an interesting linguistic note. He describes both he and Holmes as amateurs, which seems like like you and I are amateurs at this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like we're not getting, we're not paid, getting paid to do. Yeah. We we ha we have a Patreon and we appreciate our patrons very very much, but we are not being paid to do this. Mm -hmm. Those are very generous donations that mm -hmm. we we cannot thank you enough for. But like we're doing this because we want to do it and it's fun. So amateur has kind of a kind of a connotation of like well, like amateurishness. Um, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm struggling to find the words because well, that's the a, word you there's use. There's a weird, like, there's a there's a connotation with amateur, which could either mean there's plenty of people who are amateurs that are just as good as what they do as professionals. The only difference is that they're not getting correct. Paid. But there's also the connotation correct. of if you're an amateur at something that you might need training for, like for example, singing. You're probably not going to be as good as someone who does earn paying because you have to kind of like be a certain level of good to get paid at singing. Um, but like Correct. botany or something, all you have to do is really, I mean, but then someone could be an amateur singer and be great. But there's, it could go either way. Correct. You, you don't know is the point. You don't know. Yeah. And what the term originally meant before it took on the modern commentation of mediocrity, I think that's the word I was looking yes. for, before it took on um, a, a connotation, an implication of, like, not taking it seriously or whatever, what the word means, because you break it down and it comes from ama, meaning love, and tour, as in author. Um, and what it originally referred to was, because, you know, in, like, Renaissance times, you'd have artists who had patrons, right? Mm -hmm. Like Michelangelo and Raphael, other Ninja Turtles. <laughs> And they would get paid and supported by these people. So they had patrons and they were fine. An amateur was someone who didn't have a patron, who just did whatever 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 art they were doing for the love of it. Mm. Ama for the love, mm. because they they weren't they weren't getting paid. They didn't have a fancy bankroll. They weren't producing for somebody who was going to pay for their work no matter what. They were doing it because they loved it. And I think that is perfectly applicable to both Holmes and Culverton Smith. Mm -hmm. So. Culverton Smith, for his part, collects um, diseases and joims and microbes and stuff mm -hmm. and says that that line made me really happy. Among these gelatin cultivations, some of the very worst offenders in the world are now doing time. And that made me really happy to picture just like a cell block, just like giant germs in little tiny jail mm -hmm. cells, just like amoebas with eye patches <laughs> and scars and like a tattoo of a heart that reads malaria inside. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It made me really happy. It's, it's disease <laughs> jail. It's microbe jail. It is. It is. I, it's like it's like Shawshank, but for sickness. I love that insight because I also wrote that exact quote down, but my note was, come on, Batman villain dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> so And honestly, that should be another tip off is that this guy is prone to monologuing, right? Mm -hmm. He is real fond of himself. Right. And real fond of listening to himself talk. And that's coming from me. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck you. 
No, I didn't mean it that way. I know, buddy. Uh, I love you. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it's just a thing. It's like villains just monologue but also people who talk about interesting stuff monologue it's just the difference is whether you want to listen to them or not (laughs) because if someone's (laughs) because if someone's an asshole and they're talking about even something they're interested in you don't want to hear about it because they're an asshole but if like someone's talking about something they like and you like that person you can hear listen to them talk all day yeah you know um that's it and i think that's, that's an yeah. excellent point yeah and I that's think... an excellent point if the if like the penguin would just like shut the fuck up about his plans to conquer gotham for once and just tell me about what book he's reading mm-hmm. i'd probably be more interested exactly yeah <laughs> it's yeah. I, yes, Victor Freeze, I get it. Your wife is in a cryo tube, but how is your Mediterranean cooking class going? <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Tell me. And I mean, I guess it makes, couscous? it makes sense as a villain, because you want to, I never really thought about villain monologuing as like a device. I always just thought it was like, haha, funny, bad writing. But actually, right. like, it does make sense because especially in a short story like this or like a comic series or something, you want to make the reader hate that person as quickly as right. possible and as much as yeah. possible. So having them talk about what they're going to do and how evil they are and yada yada is a very easy way to do that. Because not only are they just telling you how evil they are, but you have to listen to them talk about it and read through this whole thing or like listen yep. to this whole thing just getting angry and angry as they go on like well you just shut up so i can kick your ass kind of thing it's very <laughs> it's efficient. like a villain yes. boss fight basically where it's like can i skip this dialogue um just skip i can't oh no this is a ps2 yeah. i can't why can't i pause and nope. skip the cutscene? scene kingdom oh hearts kingdom hearts why <laughs> yes <laughs> i bet we're thinking of this so good villain too who are you thinking about we i we i it's it's the riku fight it's yeah. the dark riku oh, fight yeah. in hollow bastion yeah. right Yep, just the yep. same. Nobody was prepared for that shit, and everybody had to watch that <laughs> fucking cutscene a dozen times. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, okay, so yeah. Smith <laughs> is is shocked that Holmes wants his help and grudgingly agrees to come see him. Watson remembers that he is not supposed to accompany this cat, and he beats it back to Baker Street on the quick, fast four to get there ahead of him. So he gets back to Baker Street, Holmes is looking better, he's proud of Watson, and he tells him, Quick, hide behind yonder headboard and drop some eaves, boy! But only in perfect silence, which is a perfectly sane thing to do. See, the thing is, like, if a person is really acting strangely because they're feverish and sick, that's one thing, but it's really difficult to distinguish that from Holmes's normal behavior. (laughs) Right, he always kind of acts a little unhinged. Like, it's, yeah, and I mean, it could have easily just been... Watson is just like, no, you know, you're still sick. Let me do it's, I, I don't know. That's the other thing. It, I just keep coming back to the fact that Holmes is taking such a risk here by not telling Watson what's going on. Yeah. I feel like at least he's if he's going to hide all this stuff from up. Watson up to this point, sure. Like, yeah, it would guarantee that Watson will force his way in to see Culverton Smith because, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense for him to, do that to get Watson to go see him fast. But I think that if he was going to reveal to Watson what the plan was, it would be now when it's like most important, but he's just like, yeah, no, hide no behind the dead not wo- headboard and don't make a sound. Yeah. There's no reason not to at this point. Yeah. Gilbert Smith is coming. I mean, chalk it up to Holmes being sick, chalk it up to just him being an asshole, chalk it up to him having power and control issues and exerting that. Yep. I mean, it's part of the, uh, an interesting thing to note here is that like, 
Watson bristles at almost everything in this story, but he also pretty much unquestioningly does every weird, stupid thing Holmes tells him to. Like, he puts his change in the pocket. Because, like, even though he's pretty sure this is just Holmes having a fever you could crack an egg on his forehead and fry Mm -hmm. it up, I mean, he's asked me to do weirder things before (laughs) that have turned out to be correct. And and it could even just be, like, he complies just to get Holmes to leave him alone about it. It's like, there's no reason for me not to do it, and he'll just keep yelling at me if I don't, kind of thing. That's a point. Yeah. Yeah. One of the reasons that Holmes would be an exhausting person to know in real life is that, like, if you give somebody a book in real life, and you're like, hey, you should check out this book, I think you would like it, like... You don't want to be that guy and ask about it the next week, right? You got you to wait for the mm. other person to say, hey, I started that book you gave me or whatever it was. Holmes would not mm. do that. Holmes would give you the book and then 20 minutes later you'd get a text asking if you had started the book yet. And then every hour and a half for a week. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think at a, at a certain point, it, it just like doing what he tells you, the path of least resistance is probably the correct one. And Watson has learned this long ago. Uh, yeah. Exactly. That is, that is, that is a, that is a fundamental, that is a base level survival skill to being friends with Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, so, so he's here. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, by all means. Okay. So, uh, so Smith arrives and he, uh, and Holmes is kind of just like laying there very quiet, babbling about, babbling feverishly. Um, I think, I think Inspector Morton is still outside. I don't know if it mentions it. Um, but. It does not. Okay. So. Not yet. So Watson. He's not encountered again. So Watson complies. He shuts up and hides behind the bedboard, headboard. Um, and then right after that, uh, Coverton Smith arrives. He goes into the room and, uh, like kind of roughly wakes Holmes up like, Hey, I'm going to make sure that you can, you know, that you can understand me. And he starts, uh, he starts talking to Holmes and it's just more like villain dialogue basically where he, it really is. Yeah. He's not, like, it's, it's a conversation that we aren't meant to entirely understand, I think, but also he is clearly monologuing. Mm-hmm. And he, he does the villain thing of like, aha, you put all the pieces of my crime puzzle together. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> and Holmes is, is, he's pressing to get Smith to, uh, uh, he, he's pressing to get him to say a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. He, he's getting, he's trying to get him to admit that he murdered his nephew. Yeah. The whole scene is just Holmes trying to get a confession out of this guy where Watson's right there and right. can act as, and can listen as a witness. And so the whole conversation is just Holmes trying to just subtly push him towards saying that, like, uh, Smith will ask him about right. like, well, how is it? How is this disease? How is this disease affecting you? Some people say it's like cramps, and Holmes is like, Holmes, not knowing what the disease is supposed to actually do to you, is like, oh yeah, yeah, it's cramps. That's right. That's what it is. Oof. Like you know, kind of totally cramps. And, absolutely. Uh, and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, hey, I'm cramping here. Like oh yeah, that disease. Like perhaps the one that you used to murder your nephew with, like that disease, right? right. And uh, Culverton Smith is just, and he doesn't quite say it right away. But that's the thing. He keeps doing that thing where it's like, hey, you murdered your nephew, right? Oh, I don't need to tell you about what I did. Right. Like I might have a really admitting you've done the thing, but not in an admissible way. Yeah. Right. It's like I could have maybe not. Doesn't matter. You're going to die soon anyway. Kind of stuff. And Holmes is like, okay, but like you did, though, right? Didn't you just like, right? You know, it's and it's like it's kind of frustrating, but in an entertaining way. Um, it especially is. once you know what is going on, uh, 
So yeah, and if you've ever it, seen if you've ever seen an improv performance where one of the actors clearly has a thing he's trying to make happen and he's like three <laughs> steps ahead, yeah, and he's trying to get the other actors to like help him get the other two steps. That's exactly what it is. The whole scene is just that. Just Holmes trying every different tack to get him to yep. admit it, and him just going another way. Like, oh, you want some water? Okay, and. Yep. And, uh, you got a yes and me here, right, man. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So eventually he does. Um. Uh. He he gets him to say it, and while he's saying it, he uh. Oh shoot. Because he has him turn on the light too. He correct. He, says, he has him turn up the gas light a little. Right. Yeah. He says, "Hey, so I can like see better. Can you turn on the? Can you turn the gas up? Which it was. It was a half. He made sure to tell Watson earlier that it had to remain a half. Right. He tells Smith to turn it up, and then um. Uh, Smith says, you know, is, is there anything else that I can get you before you die? Because at this point, he's convinced that Holmes is dying. Uh, he says, like, right. oh, the shadows are falling, are they? Like, yeah, I'll turn the light up. And he says, is there anything else I can get you? And then Holmes, in a, his perfectly normal voice, says, yes, a match and a cigarette. And then I think that's when he realizes that, like, wait a second, something... Yeah, Holmes essentially essentially removes his his mask of ill health and and says essentially that he appreciates him admitting it mm-hmm. and that he really hopes he enjoys his stay in jail <laughs> and smith says uh fuck you dude you're a feverish dying man mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll just say that you're lying and or out of your mind it's only my word against yours so he reveals that he's not actually dying um Coverton right. Smith, yeah, Coverton Smith. Any faster like, than any of us, anyway. Any faster than a normal person. Um, although maybe a little bit faster, depending, considering how much he smokes well, I mean, and yeah, cocaine's. A uh, lot of cocaine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and Smith is like, there's no way to prove it. And I think, I think right, I think the, uh, Inspector Morton shows up right before, it has to be before Watson is revealed to have been there this entire time. Surprise. Uh, I believe so. Cause yeah. this whole scene actually happened. The last, the whole last page of the story is you get almost to the bottom of the page before, uh, all of this is described as just Watson overhearing their conversation. You get what Watson thinks right. is happening. Like he hears the striking of a match. It's all described by sound, which goes on for a little longer than it needed to. Again, reminding you that Watson is still hiding and being quiet and being very good this whole time, yep. which is just... He's being such a good sneaky he's, boy. He's His like, stealth I, checks are real good. I have my orders. I I can't get out of here until Holmes specifically tells me to do it. And, and then Holmes finally right. remembers that Watson is there. I'm convinced that Holmes is so... I'm convinced that Holmes loves acting. Uh, he loves doing disguises. Oh yeah. He reveals later at the in, on the last page that his whole um, appearance of being sick was like special effects makeup that he did himself basically, and like just yeah. improv improvised from just stuff that he had lying around. And he, I, I'm convinced he just got so into the role that he didn't just forget about Watson existing. He was just so into it that he kind of forgot that he had told Watson to be there and be quiet. Until it was relevant to get hundred percent as the yeah. witness. He's like, oh, no, yeah. absolutely, yeah. He was lost in the theater of the mind. It's yeah. I think Doyle does a good job at the end of this story of salvaging, if not all, at least a pretty good amount of, or at least putting a bandaid on how much of a dick Holmes was this whole story. Uh, because a little bit, yeah. Culverton Smith gets arrested. Uh, you know, that's it. Lock him up, right. boys. The, the Take turning, him away. The turning up of the. 
the the gaslight uh, turning up the gaslight was the prearranged signal for Morton, mm-hmm. who had been waiting out in the fog, to come in and arrest this fucking dude already. And Morton mm-hmm. comes in and uh, says, "Okay, well let's let's you know off to the gallows with you." And Smith says, "No, dude, it is my word against Holmes. He is very sick and feverish, and or could be lying." But oops, <laughs> turns out there's a Watson because yeah. uh, that's when Watson stands up and reveals himself. He takes the the initiative himself for once. Yeah. And uh, no, then it turns out it is jail forever after it's the reigns of castamere for this fucker and afterwards yes holmes is giving an explanation of like no yeah i put petroleum jelly up here Mm -hmm. and then i there's actually there's a really really great movie i think i've talked about before it's called behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon Hmm. it's a horror movie ostensibly but it's also like a deconstruction of horror movies because it's about a camera crew, a documentary camera crew following around like an amateur horror movie serial killer who wants to be like on the level of like Freddy and Jason and Chucky and all those guys. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny. Uh, I think it's free on prime. You, You should really watch it. But at one point, it's, they're just talking about, like, I think part of it is that the camera crew doesn't believe he's really going to murder people, but he absolutely is. Mm-hmm. But they're just showing, like, his his regimen for being, like, a movie monster. Like, you just see him kicking at a at a kick, uh, what do you call it, like a punching bag or yeah, whatever. Yeah. And he's just drenched in sweat, and he turns and says, I have to do so much cardio. Do you have any <laughs> idea how exhausting it is chasing down teenagers through a cornfield? <laughs> and um, there's another bit. Where, like, right before he's going to go kill all these teenagers, he's like, no, yeah, what you do is you take a little preparation H, and you mm-hmm. put it up here on your forehead, and it constricts the capillaries in your skin. It makes you look very pale, which is creepy. But also, here's the important thing. If you get cut, you won't bleed as much, and that's very powerful psychologically. They think they won't hurt you. And it, <laughs> it's really what it reminds me of. That sounds it, awesome. The Holmes is... It's really good. It uh, it's sounds kind of the mask, the rise of Leslie. It Burns. sounds kind of like up? in the same vein as like what we do in the shadows. It's yes, it is. It is very much in that vein. It, it got in on like the mockumentary train. It's mm-hmm. I think it's from like 2011 or 2012. So it's it's way before the mockumentary was like the cute meta thing to do. Yeah. But if you enjoyed what we do in the shadows, you will very much enjoy uh, Behind the Mask: The Rise of Leslie Vernon. It's it's not only a legitimately good funny movie and good horror movie. It's a really great like examination of story shapes and storytelling that mm-hmm. I think is is really awesome. But that's what it is. Is that Holmes is just like yeah, I put some. Uh, you know, put some Vaseline up here, and I took some, uh, I think it was beeswax, crumbled it up around my mouth, made it look like I had barfed some, and then- <laughs> I think I think you're right. I think there's a real betrayal there that like Holmes was a theater kid, right? It's the only thing that oh, makes yeah. sense. He had to be. Yeah, he said he yeah. says malingering is a subject upon which I've sometimes thought of writing a monograph. And it's just, malingering yep. being pretending to be ill, and it's just like, dude, okay, <laughs> like sure. <laughs> That seems like something. Like there was, there was like, like Sherlock had a year in high school when he just called everyone thee and thou. Like he Mm. was just that kid. Like Mm. he went around. Oh, absolutely. And watching (laughs) just the poor jock not having any idea what he's talking about, just like. (laughs) Yep. Wow. He's just happy to be included. Yep. Um. Yeah. And then Watson's like, "Well, but why did you not let me uh, near you? Since there was in truth no infection. Like not, not even like why? Well, he asks why he didn't let him in on it. I think. Um. Uh, yeah or does he no Holmes just straight up is like hey I'm sorry I didn't let it in on you because um I yeah, basically just something about like I needed a genuine reaction 
from you to yeah to... he didn't he didn't trust him to lie mm-hmm. essentially yeah and which there's <laughs> i mean it it's always it's always it's always hard to know how to take that mm-hmm. right because like i'm i'm known as not being a good liar i can't do it and i won't do it it's it's not something i do unless i have like a, a verifiable capital g capital r good reason yeah and part of the reason i don't do it is because i'm not good at it <laughs> but like if somebody if if someone said they didn't bring me into something because they didn't want me to have to lie as has happened in my life i appreciate that that's very considerate mm-hmm. that's like knowing that i don't drink and so not offering me a drink but like yeah. saying no 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 dude i thought you were gonna fuck this up like that's <laughs> It's not cool. And it's kind of on the line between those things, I think, where it's like, Watson's like, hey, you didn't trust me enough to handle this, and Holmes is like, it's not that, it's just that you needed to lie really good, and I don't know, I have confidence in your other abilities, just not that one specifically. To which, to which I would probably have replied, you know what, fair. Because if you know, it's yeah, like, you know your friend's talents. It's not necessarily a diss if you tell them, "Hey, you're not very good at this, so I didn't exactly. want to make you do it." Kind of thing, um, right? So I, I guess that. Kind and, of... I mean, your your reaction you can your reaction can be both fair and fuck you. Those don't yeah. have to be mutually exclusive. <laughs> oh, yeah, <That's>, absolutely. <laughs> there's. Yeah. There's a, uh, there's a German word, yeah. um, there's a German word, Walter Sobchakait, which means you're not wrong, you're just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is, it happens quite a bit in this relationship specifically. Uh, but yeah. Yes. So, yeah, and then it kind of ends on like a slightly nicer note where Holmes is like, listen, like the reason why I didn't let you get near me was because I knew you were such a good doctor that you would immediately, if yes. you'd gotten close enough, you would immediately have recognized that I was faking and I wasn't actually sick. Right. So it was kind of just like, I do trust you just in this sense, like kind of explaining away why he did everything. And I think yeah. it's kind of like, all right, it, it, it definitely eases some of the yeah. Absolutely. That admission, that uh that explanation of that particular aspect of his reasoning, I think is really what redeems Holmes to the extent that he is redeemed in this in mm-hmm. this story because like he reacts to two things. Like when when Watson's saying, "Dude, I should, I'm going to go get you a real doctor." He's like, "No, no, no, don't do it." Ra ra ra. But when Watson gets close enough to see through his disguise, he flips out. He says, "No, fuck you. Stay back. Back, mm-hmm. Dracula." Mm-hmm. And when and the other thing is when he goes to oh we didn't even explain the box the little the little ivory box that Watson found on the mantelpiece uh what apparently had like a spring loaded poisonous needle in and that was what was used uh in the murder of uh Culverton Smith's nephew as well so that's why Holmes wanted Watson to be careful he didn't want him to get poisoned and instantly die with the right. real version of this disease he was pretending to have yeah no cuz so Smith it yeah it was revealed in that that Smith uh sent him the box in the mail and whole the spring loaded yeah. needle and everything and Holmes knew that's what it was and therefore didn't open it but it was still there as untouched as evidence and so that's Correct. why Smith even came because he knew that Holmes he was waiting for Holmes basically to call on him and immediately when Watson shows up Smith asks hey how is Holmes because he knows that he right. should be having the disease and so yeah that was the whole that that was also going on. <laughs> that was the whole thing. Yeah. So yeah. So the the level the level of violence to the to to the idea that that Holmes had to Watson touching that box and Watson getting too close, I think, is is an indicator of like, no, if you st- if you take one step closer, my plan is fucked because mm. then you will know I'm not sick because you're a good doctor. Right. So I think that. I, that, that kind of does balance the scales to the extent that they are balanced. And then, 
Sherlock says, uh, let's go get a little dinner. What do you think, John? Go mm-hmm. get some uh, some matzo ball soup, maybe? Go down, uh, go down the deli? Yeah. No, they go to they go to Simpsons. I don't yeah. know what they serve at Simpsons. I, Probably oysters. Yeah. Yeah, he does kind of like, he, he makes up for it in every way he possibly can by complimenting Watson's doctor yep. abilities, explaining him the whole situation from beginning to end, every detail, and then yep. offering to take him out to dinner, which is like, all right, you know. That 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 would win me over, I guess. That's that's fair. I guess it's, yeah, that's it would work on me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. In in retrospect, I actually, despite the story being so strange and that it's, uh, it, it doesn't follow the almost any of the tropes of uh of any other Sherlock Holmes story. I I don't know. It's it's kind it of fun. It's a fun one. I think it's exciting at any rate. It's it is a fun one. <laughs> it's it's different in that most of them have Holmes being a very active particle, like zipping around from scene to scene, and Holmes is doing an exciting thing, and mm-hmm. he's part of the rising action, and Holmes is going all over the place. And in this one, Holmes is the core. He's the uh, the fixed point in a changing age, as I believe mm-hmm. you said, mm-hmm. and uh, and everything kind of revolves around him and changes in its relation according to him. And it, it was a different one. This is one of those that I don't think works as like a self-contained little story. Um, I think this would have been much better if it were longer. I want to see more of this setup. Like if we're, I, I and I, th- I think really the implication there is that Doyle knew. Okay, if Holmes is going to conduct this whole thing, but he has to, ex- he has to specifically exclude Watson from it in order to pull it off. I think Doyle knew, maybe not consciously, like he didn't say this to himself, but he understood that, like, Sherlock really isn't a strong enough character to carry off a whole story without Watson, right? Mm-hmm. Watson's utterly necessary like, to the formula, yeah. Yeah, Watson is what makes the whole thing work. Also, mm-hmm. I guess most of the story would just be Holmes starving himself for three days in bed to look that emaciated, so right. that might not make <laughs> for the most, the most riveting reading. Yeah. Yeah, honestly... <laughs> If, it's weird because, like, this story does have, I think, at least a short novel's worth of story elements yeah. to it. It could be expanded. But also, if you changed anything about the short story, it wouldn't work. It would fall apart. And so as a short exactly. story, it, yeah. it, it it's, does It's precarious work. enough as it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it works. It's, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would love to see this story played out as, like, a stage play. There's only two, there would only be two sets, and it yeah. would, and it's dramatic enough, there's enough just condensed drama, I think, in one, it's like, true. 10 page or 11 page story. It's very concentrated. It is, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think it works. It's uh, also, it's also very, it's also very visually striking, because you've got, you've got, um, like, the, the sick room as a dramatic device is always very visual, you know, it's, it's usually, it's usually drawn, like, there's dramatic music playing, you've got Holmes looking all gaunt and, mm-hmm. and corpse-like, right. and then you've got the fog of, uh, of Watson trying to catch the cab out there, fog is always a very good visual device, and then in, in Smith's lab, or his room, or whatever it is, you've got jars covered in shit, I always want to know what's in jars, show me more <laughs> of them jars and bottles, right. what you got gonna... floating around in there, some kind of weird read... disease, I'm gonna Come read on. every label on all of these. Yes, <laughs> give me twenty minutes. Absolutely. Yeah, but yeah, yeah and also would, the would, fact, right? It would, it would work. Yeah, and the fact that I that the whole, basically the whole story, except for the one scene, takes place at Baker Street, gives you, like, it, it gives Doyle time to just you get more of a description of what it looks like and Holmes's room, which is That's interesting. True. Um, 
you're kind of just you're 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 for, you're confined to Baker Street and therefore get to see a little more of it. It gives the rooms more character. It gives Holmes a little more character. Um, and yeah. just Holmes and Watson's dynamic again is so central to the story. It's like the focus of the story almost. Whereas instead of a device that keeps the plot going from place to place to place, it's stuck in one place. And it's so you the kind engine of, of the story. Yeah, yeah, you you kind of get to see it a little more close up and in a little more detail. And there's a lot of really nice. Yeah, the detail bond of trust story. between them is the only thing that makes it work. Yeah, there it's are. Nice. I want to know. I really like the bit where where Watson's looking at his mantle and sees all the bric-a-brac, mm-hmm. and there's like pipes and pen knives and syringes. And I think the syringes thing probably because to us syringes mean one thing and one thing only: diabetes. No. <laughs> yeah, uh, but like in. In Holmes, I mean, like, Holmes is a scientist. There are probably legitimate non, you know, non-opioid uses. Not yeah, for sure. reasons to him to have, for have a syringe. Right. But, um, but I really, I really love whenever you get to see, like, little pieces of a person's life. Uh, one of the things I'm very interested in is, uh, EDC, or Everyday Carry. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, what, what, you know, people's gear, like what they have on them every day. And there are whole blogs. You, you can go and people can submit pictures of just like, this is what I carry in my pockets every day. I've got a pen and a handkerchief and here's a pocket knife that my granddaddy, uh, brought back from the World's Fair in 1932. And I love that shit. I oh, love yeah. seeing those little pieces, pieces of a person's life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the knickknacks and gewgaws and gimcracks on, on Holmes's, uh, mantle, I think definitely qualify. Mm-hmm. And you don't get to see a lot of that in fiction, yeah. really. It's not, you never really get a description of what people carry around in their pockets. I mean, or even what Holmes looks yeah. like normally. It's just he's he's dressed formally, or he's dressed like a sailor, or whatever. And um, right. or he pulls out a pocket watch. You don't really get a description of what the pocket watch looks like. Um, you don't right. really see any of his pipes unless he's smoking it. It's just kind of uh, you get a little more of that kind of stuff in the Poirot stories. It describes. Uh, Sometimes like a little more the mustaches, the, color of the mustaches yeah. exactly like how he grooms the mustaches. It's like it's 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 charming. You, I like it, and it 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 makes you it characterizes the detective nicely. And it, I don't know. There should just I feel like there should just be a little bit more of that in in fiction. Like stories should just slow down just a bit more sometimes. Even adventure. Yeah. Sto- well, I mean, I guess it's kind of specific to adventure stories because in dramas you get a lot a of that. Bit. But I don't know. I want atten- I want adventure stories, but I also want the minutia of people's everyday lives, like like the episodes I, of no, Star Trek where that. it slows down and it just shows people like having a day off together. I live for that shit. Like, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. That shit's amazing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I want. I think you and I texted about like I just want a whole episode of like Chief O'Brien's day mm-hmm. on DS9. Yeah, just like all the shit he has to deal with, everybody he everybody he talks to, and where he has lunch. I want just just episodes and episodes of that. Right. And I'm the same way. Like I remember specifically, and I don't know why this sticks out in my mind so much, but it does. In Indiana Jones, I forget which one it is. I think it's the first one. He ends up on top of a train or something, and he's fighting some. Nazis, which is correct. Punch mm-hmm. all Nazis. Mm-hmm. But like, while he's doing that, and he's got the relic and the stakes are very high, but he's also got like a leather satchel that he's wearing, and I'm like, I want to know what's in that satchel. <laughs> I want to open that bad boy up. I want to, what's he got in there? What's he got in there? He's got like a <laughs> notebook. Oh, that's so good. Show me that notebook. <laughs> is mm-hmm. that spiral bound? No, all cloth bound? That's got a sewn spine? Oh, oh you nasty bitch. <laughs> like, I just, I want to know, yeah. I want, I want to know what people carry around, mm-hmm. and it's, just, oh, it's so good. So yeah, you definitely get some of that in the story, and it's it's great. It's fantastic. So if if nothing else, that alone is 
it's nice. I like the story. Yeah. It's, it's it, I don't know if it's one of my favorites, but I, I quite like it. it. No, no, no. If in, in just that it's so dramatic and fun to read. <laughs> yeah. If, if you, like, if there was a Holmes weekly, like there were, if there were, if there was a place where you got your weekly fix, like, like an audio program, for <laughs> example, um, and, and this one came down the pipe, you would say to yourself, well, that's better than nothing. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the final problem, better than nothing. Yep. <laughs> if you want to listen to a podcast, not up but or you down. really don't just... care what it's about, final problem is for you. <laughs> yep. Two stars away. Little bottom. Oysters. <laughs> God. Oh man. All right. So Watson. Watson got your Huxtable, and he deserved it. He earned that bad boy. Mm-hmm. Um. I think my Huxtable award has to go to uh, Inspector Morton because, like, obviously the implication is that there's some like elaborate heist machinery going on that like he'd be walking by at the exact moment to see the gaslight go up so he'd know when to you know that that really satisfying bit of a heist but i like to picture him just like hanging out in the fog like just like any minute now (laughs) just just like nobody sees inspector morton inspector morton is one with the fog (laughs) just just sitting there kind of like going slowly insane just like a friggin like slow just a whole scene that's just like this in a comedy where like just a slow pan on him just going through the fog he's in an alleyway completely like like hidden in shadow you see like half of his face and then he just like glances in one direction and he just goes i am the night quietly to himself just like <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's it's so good that would be in my adaptation of this story yeah, absolutely <laughs> coming in 2020 god all right well let's uh let's see what we're reading next time mm-hmm. Let's see, let me open up the canon here. And let's see. Come on, the canon. There we go. Alright, I'm gonna go ahead and roll my D100s here. Uh, that gives us number 35, which uh, on the list, as I have it presented, Brings us to 1910's The Devil's Foot. Ooh, yes, this is a good one. Yeah? Alright. Yeah, I like this one. I'm excited. Hallucinogenics. <laughs> what? Hallucinogenics? Yep. Ooh, yes, please. Okay. Yep. Give me, give <laughs> me a Robert Downey Jr. up in here. Okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Well, mm-hmm. folks, uh, for your Holmes work next week, go ahead and read The Devil's Foot. Uh, you can tweet at us at always, as always, please find us at the final problem. We would love to hear from you. We'd love to do a mailbag episode. Mm -hmm. Um, if you would like, you can find our Patreon, uh, at semi-automagic is the, is the name we are on Patreon because that's our, our podcast network (laughs) currently on a little bit of a hiatus just because people have lives. And I I think we're the only show that's currently publishing at, at this exact point in time, but the semi-automagic Inc. podcast (laughs) network is still very much alive. Um, and if you'd like to donate to us, Five bucks a month gets you uh, the episodes a week early, and it gets you the special pre-show goofs that we do, where we just uh, talk about stuff before the show, get a little bit warmed up, get a little bit loosey-goosey, take several shots of clarified butter. <laughs> and uh, also, once we start doing our uh, monthly movie review episodes, they're going to be showing up on the Patreon-exclusive feed. 
So you can go check that out. Uh, you can tweet at me at Hotel Theotokos. You can tweet at Nick at Wayfarers underscore all. Reminder, you can go to Nick's um, Twitter Mm-hmm. And there is a link in his profile to his Redbubble store. Nick, what kind of what kind of stuff do you sell in your in your Redbubble? Is it drug I paraphernalia? Is it syringes and pipes and pocket knives? Sometimes. Uh, that's my private Redbubble. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. I sell nature photography. I live in the Pacific Northwest. I'm taking pictures as often as I possibly can. I've got a huge backstock of images. Um, I love taking nature photography. One of my uh, one of my big dreams is to work for a photography publication such as national geographic not necessarily not geographic but hey i can dream and yeah so if you'd like to buy pictures they make great gifts for the holidays which incidentally happen to be coming up um christmas present hanukkah presents whatever you need i got it pretty pictures of trees i got birds up there i have pictures of birds i have pictures of seals i have pictures of my cats if you want those for some reason but mostly nature so yeah check it out check out my red bubble if you want to buy some prints i would love that all the money just goes to me not any particular cause except (laughs) me i'm my own cause i need money to live Um, all profits to Nick. To me. And you know what? I am, I am, I am perfectly comfortable saying, listeners, uh, we love our Patreon supporters. If you have to choose between, like, tossing us five bucks a month and maybe saving up a few months to buy that print of whatever is breakfast food, you got some, you got some photos of breakfast food right out there, right, Nick? Uh, I, I took a cool picture of soy sauce lately. The, the. Get. A sexy <laughs> breakfast sandwich up there. The, Nick, are you trying to move pictures or not here? I'll, Come I'll on, this on is what it. the I'll, people want. I don't know. I'll start Get some waffles breakfast, up there, man. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the point yeah. is, uh, if you're if you're torn, go to Nick. Give give buy buy some of Nick's photography. Our Patreon is always going to be there, and hopefully, Nick will get picked up by at Nat Geo sometime soon. Nate Geographic, come on, bud. Whenever you're I ready, know you're a listener. I'm here. Whenever you're ready. Also, if you want to guess what my uh, that that if that's still going, if no one's guessed it by now, if you would like to try to guess what my um. What my username is inspired on, that's a that's a running, that's an ongoing thing. Correct. If you can yep. guess what Wayfarers underscore all is a reference to, Nick will give you 10% off your Redbubble order. And you know what? Even I, I think it's safe to say that even if an individual guesses it, like, the contest isn't over. Like, multiple people can guess it, as long as, you know, nobody spoils the answer, right? Oh, sure, yeah. 10% off anyone's order who can who can guess what it is. 10% off. Absolutely. Someone tell me. I need 10% off the order of <laughs> breakfast food photography that Nick is going to take, especially for me. You know what? Just you wait, man. You're going to take, like, a picture of a really cool omelet, and you're going to be like, this is a dumb joke. I'm going to sell one of these, and it's going to be to Casey, and it's going to become your best-selling picture. <laughs> I would lose my mind. I would not complain. That'd be fine with me, honestly. At whatever <laughs> pictures you... Some of the pictures that I take that I think suck, people love them. So my... it. It really is just an individual, an individual thing. That's why I try to take a variety because you really never know what people want to see pictures of. Yeah, that's true. Well, all our buddies, uh, you can go check all out, all that out. Please do tweet at us. We would love to hear from you. Do your homes work? Read the Devil's mm-hmm. Foot uh, for next week. And until then, remember, tres leches in esta economía. Bye, all our buddies. <laughs> Bye. The game is afoot, all my buddies. Welcome back to the final... Um, blum. 
The old, no, I, I don't know. I thought it would be a funny pronunciation. <laughs> I did that on purpose. I thought it would be funny. It was not. You can't do it on purpose. It has you to can't. happen organically. You can't pop yeah. them on purpose. Okay. 